0: Every so often, I like to remind you of what we're doing on Sunday morning as we open God's Word and why we're doing it. We believe that God, the Creator God of the universe, has spoken to us in this book, in the Bible. That He has revealed Himself to us and told us of His character and of His works. And so, We want to understand what this God has said to us about himself, about the world he has made, about us, and about how we receive redemption from him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if that is our belief about this book, and that this book has the authority, because it's God's word, to instruct us on the truth and on how to live, then we want to understand this book in the best way possible. And so on Sunday mornings, during the preaching time, we don't look to the culture to find our messages and our sermons and our series. Instead, we open the Bible and week by week, book by book, we take a section and we try to explain it and unfold it as it comes to us from God to us in context. And we believe that as we do that, that we are receiving God's word to us. And that he is speaking to us through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit and instructing us and shaping us and changing us. And so we go book by book, passage by passage, and try to understand God's word. And that's what we're doing this morning. So you can open up to the very next passage, which is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And this is a reminder that this is a long work that God is doing in us. You don't change all at once. It takes week after week and exposure after exposure to his holy word for him to shape us, inform us, and change us. And so, this is a piece of that puzzle this morning as we look at Ephesians chapter six. Obviously, this passage deals with parenting in verses one to four, which is where we're going to be this morning. And to call the number of resources that are available on parenting today mind blowing is an insult to those who have had their minds blown. It is shocking how many resources are available to each one of us on parenting. If you go to Amazon and you narrow, right, narrow the search parameters just to books that have to do with parenting, the results come back at over 100,000. The first page alone has these titles on it. Coping Skills for Kids workbook, The Explosive Child, which that sounds fascinating. (laughs) Not sure what the angle is there, but Parenting with Love and Logic, The Self-Driven Child, Intentional parenting, 10 ways to be an exceptional parent in a quick fix world. The five love languages of children, raising an organized child, and the list obviously goes on and on and on beyond what I was interested in looking at. So clearly two things are happening simultaneously for us, right? Some of us aren't up to the task of parenting in any way, shape, or form. And clearly, there is a lot of pressure to be up to the task. And so we all keep asking and looking for answers in how to do this parenting thing better and more efficiently. And I get it. I mean, parenting is incredibly frustrating and gloriously exciting. And it's both of those at the same time. And it's that combination, I think, of frustration and excitement that come together and they, they fill this task with anxiety. I mean, it is, it is concerning that we, those of us that are parents, have the responsibility for these little souls in our homes to shape them and form them. And it's quite a task in front of us. And so there's a lot to worry about. I mean, we want to be good parents, Everyone who has kids wants to be a good parent. We want our kids to be successful. We want to give them what they need to succeed in life, to get ahead, to enjoy life, to be organized, to get good SAT scores, and the expectations go on and on and on, and everywhere you look, there's more and more tasks that you have to do to be a successful parent and more things you have to be concerned about and worried about the beautiful thing for us as believers in God's word that we are hearing from God through his word is that the Bible is straightforward. It's not easy, but it is straightforward. And it's clear. It's very clear about parenting and what the dynamics in the home should be. And both parents and children have primary responsibilities. And it won't solve everything if we focus on those responsibilities, but we need to start there. And I think most of the rest of the struggles will will at least make sense if we can get these primary responsibilities understood and in their proper place. And so we're gonna be learning about the dynamics in the home today from Ephesians 6 verses one to four, family relationships, but keep in mind here that this is part of a larger section. I mean, you can see on the screen that this is part four. Sorry about that. One more to go, part five next week, and we'll be done. But this is part of a larger section Ephesians 5 15, all the way to chapter six and verse nine. And in this entire section, Paul is teaching us how to walk in wisdom, right? So, since the beginning of chapter four, We've been learning how to walk suitably or worthy of our calling. And there's all these different commands to walk. Walk in love, walk in unity, walk in holiness, walk in light. And beginning in chapter 5 and verse 15, Paul is teaching us to walk in wisdom. And so he's explaining all of these different arenas in which you and I need to walk in wisdom. And if you look at chapter 5 and verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a result of being filled with the Spirit. And then, beginning in chapter 5 and verse 22, all the way to the end of what Zach read this morning, chapter 6, verse 9, you've got instructions to specific groups of people. Wives, in verse 22. Verse 25, husbands. And then verse 1 of chapter 6, children. Verse 4, fathers. Verse 5, bond servants, right? He's telling you what it looks like to submit to one another. It means to carry out your particular role and your responsibility. And so here, he's been through the marriage relationship in chapter 5, 22 to 33, and now he gets to the family dynamic of parenting, the relationship between children and their parents. And so he's telling us how to walk in wisdom in that relationship. So today we're going to see two instructions for families to walk in wisdom. In the first one of these, in verses 1 to 3, you can see on the screen, children, obey your parents so it will go well with you. And that's rooted in the text, as you will see. So now Paul turns his attention to children, and he gives them a very straightforward command in verse 1. Look there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now this is a different word, obey, than the word for wives to submit to their husbands that we saw back up in the earlier part of chapter 5. Notice here that Paul says that children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Now what he doesn't mean there is that kids, you need to assess whether your parents are believers or not, and if they're believers, then you can obey them. But if they're not, you're off the hook. You don't have to obey them. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that children obey their parents as their particular role and their way of submitting to Christ. They submit and obey their parents as they show obedience to Christ. Now, in the New Testament, if you read through the whole New Testament, there aren't a lot of commands that are given specifically to children. In fact, I struggle to think of any other commands that are given only to children. And if there are others, this would be the primary one. I mean, it is clear and it is straightforward for kids. This is your responsibility. Now, clear doesn't mean easy to work out in your life. But if you're a child or if you're a parent with children this morning... There in the children's ministry, you children have one primary responsibility, and parents, as you'll see later, your responsibility is to help them in this one primary responsibility. They are to obey. Children, you are to walk in obedience to your parents. Why? Look at the end of verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, what Paul is saying there is not the idea that this is righteousness before the Lord. That's not the idea that's given here. What he's saying is something very similar to what he said in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, the terminology that he uses there. So look back there with me. Verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And here's the same idea, as is proper among saints. And then continue in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Right? So it's, there's a, a proper way for saints to live. And there's a way for saints to live that is out of place. It's not fitting. It's not appropriate. It's not right. And so there are certain actions for believers that are inappropriate. They don't match your calling. In the Lord, And on the flip side, there are certain ways for believers to live suitably to their calling so that their actions show the reality of their salvation. And so what Paul is saying here in chapter 6 and verse 1 and what his whole real argument has been since the beginning of chapter 4 is this is right, this is fitting, this is appropriate and suitable for you. And so, kids... Children, it is fitting. It is suitable for you to be under the authority of your parents. It is right for you to learn to obey your parents. Now, Paul didn't just come up with this command off the top of his head. It's it's not something that he suddenly realized in the moment here. Maybe there was a particular problem in Ephesus, and so he was addressing it. That's not the case. This command is actually rooted much further back in human history. It's rooted in the structure of creation, but it's certainly rooted in the Old Testament and in the Old Testament law. Look at verse 2. He goes right into this text from the Old Testament. Honor your father and mother. Now, some of you would know that that is one of the Ten Commandments, And that's a quote from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. And in Exodus 20 is the place where the Ten Commandments are given. So as Paul quotes this, it's the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments. And if you know anything about the Ten Commandments, they're broken up into kind of two parts. The first four commandments define the relationship between human beings and God. They talk about that vertical relationship. And then the second section of the Ten Commandments... Talk about the horizontal relationship. They govern human relationships with one another. First section is vertical. The second section is horizontal. And that's why Jesus says that the summary of the whole law is to love God and love others. It's the two sections of the Ten Commandments. Now, this command here, the fifth one, this is the very first commandment in the second half of the Ten Commandments. So this is the first commandment, governing human relationships with one another. And so what you can take away from that is that this relationship between children and their parents and the way that children honor and obey their parents is the starting point for all other human interactions. I mean, this is a basic relationship of human existence that governs and sets the tone for how we all treat one another and how we respond to one another. I mean, you could say that human society is built off of this relationship between parents and their children. You could also say that children learn how to relate to God through how they relate to their parents and how they submit to the authority of their parents. But Paul here, interestingly enough, draws our attention to another aspect of this command. It is first in the second part of the Ten Commandments, but look what he says here in verse 2. This is the first commandment with a promise. And this is the first command in the entire Jewish law that is given and has a promise attached to it. So what was the promise? Well, look at verse 3 that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, if the children who were growing up under the Old Testament law in Jewish Israelite households would obey this command, God was telling them that in general that it would go well with them, that their lives would go better. And he says to them that your lives will be long specifically in the land. Well, what land is he talking about? He's talking about the promised land. It's the good land that God was leading the children of Israel toward when he gave the Ten Commandments. And it was the land that he had promised to them and where he would plant them and they would be his special people and they would dwell with him in his presence there and he would be their God. And so God is telling them through this commandment, if you will obey and learn to submit to your parents, then life will go better for you and you will live a long time in the land that I have promised you. So let's carry this over now to Paul quoting this. What does this mean for us? Well, clearly, He's not saying to my kids and to your kids that if they will obey, they will live in Israel for a very long time. He's not telling them that they're going to exist in the nation state of Israel in the Middle East for a long time and that their lives will be long. That's not the promise that's being made to our kids today. So what is Paul quoting this here for? Why is he doing this? Why is he drawing our attention to the promise that is attached to this commandment here. Well, I think what he's doing is he's recognizing that even though you and I aren't under the Old Testament law anymore because it's fulfilled in Christ, there's still something that is baked into the structure of the universe and the structure of creation that expresses itself in the Old Testament law that is still true today. And it involves this family relationship between parents and their children. And so what is still true today? The reality is, is that when children learn this first and foremost primary responsibility, when they learn to obey their parents and they learn that they're obeying God by obeying their parents, in general, there are exceptions to this, But in general, life goes better for them. And in general, that leads to long life. And that is the connection here that Paul is drawing our attention to. This is how God designed us to function and to live. And I think that's what Paul wants us to see. It is fitting. It is right for children to obey their parents. And Paul says, look, you have seen this all the way back to the earliest days of humanity. This is how it works well. And so the promise here is attached to this so that as children are hearing this and they're reading this, that they're motivated to obey and that they understand this is how life is designed to work for you. And this is how God has determined that it will go well with you. This will set you up for the rest of your life. You will learn at a young age what it looks like to function under God's authority and to be accountable and responsible to Him. And that will carry you through the way you view the rest of your life. And this is why the Old Testament puts such an emphasis on the relationship between parents and their children and the responsibility of children to obey, and then as we'll see, of parents to instruct, and to require obedience. This is all throughout the Old Testament, all the way back into Genesis and certainly in the book of Proverbs. Let me show you several examples of how important this is from Proverbs of parents or of children learning to obey their parents. You don't have to turn there. I've got them on the screen. Proverbs 1, the very beginning of the book, written from a father to a son. Hear, my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck my son if sinners entice you do not consent proverbs 2 i can get it to go forward there we go my son next chapter if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. He's begging his son to listen to him. Proverbs 3, the very next chapter. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart Keep my commandments for length of days and years of life in peace. They will add to you. And it goes on and on in the book of Proverbs and throughout the Old Testament. Children, the command is clear for you. Learn to obey, to listen, to hear the teaching of your parents and their instruction Because learning to hear the teaching of your parents is learning to obey and submit to God and to his authority. This is how he has designed it, and this will set you up for the rest of your life. Now, there's obviously a flip side to this, right? As parents... We cannot expect our children to obey us and to grow in wisdom and knowledge if we are not actively and intentionally teaching them and giving instruction. Parents, and this is for me too, this is the pathway for your kids to begin to understand the gospel. This is how they start to grasp it. When they know that they are responsible to obey you because you are their authority. They understand that. They are accountable to authority because that is the beginning of grasping the gospel. Because you know I'm accountable to God and I have violated His commands, but I am responsible to Him. And so parents helping your children to understand the structure of authority that God has put in place is vital for them to become believers and to grasp the gospel. It's very easy. I get it. It is very easy to let it slide and to not actively require obedience of our children. But we are called by God to ensure that they understand their responsibility before God. And that brings us to our second instruction. Children, obey your parents so it will go well with you. And then on the flip side, fathers, and you'll understand why he says this in a second, disciple your children because you are accountable to God. So verse 4, Paul turns his attention to parents. And specifically and interestingly here, he turns his attention to fathers. Now, why does he do this? I mean, it's as clear as day in the text, right? Verse 4, fathers. Why does he direct the instruction to dads here? Well, if you go back to verse 1, you can see that he says, children obey not just your fathers, but your parents. And in the Ten Commandments in verse 2, honor your father and mother. So it's not like kids are only accountable to dad. They're clearly accountable to mom and dad. So why in verse 4 does he only mention fathers here? I think this is in keeping with what he's given us regarding marriage in verses 22 to 33 and the structure in the home. Obviously, and I don't even have to say it, Shouldn't have to say it. Mothers are heavily involved in the raising of children. But I think what Paul wants to do here is he wants fathers to feel the overall weight and responsibility for the teaching and disciplining and instruction of the children and for how the parenting takes place. Now, this is almost the exact opposite of how it works today. For many of us, we assume that the parenting is mom's domain, and dads tend to focus on work and on their own hobbies and sort of leave the parenting to mom. But Paul here wants us and wants husbands to grasp just how significant you are in this relationship. And in the parenting of your children, your role is vital. So in explaining your role, our role, he gives negative and positive instructions. Look at verse 4. Fathers, first of all negatively, do not provoke your children to anger. Now in Roman society, the father, the head of the household, was the dominant leader in the home. I mean, he had absolute control over everyone else in his household, and particularly particularly his kids, especially his kids. He could kick them out of the house if he wanted to. He could have them severely beaten and even killed if they violated the family honor. Now, there were many loving Roman homes, but he was the authority, and he had that right as a Roman head of household household. Now, obviously, Christian parents have quite a bit of a different approach here, and that's what Paul is stressing when he says this and prohibits parents and fathers in particular from acting in a certain way. What he's saying here is avoid any actions or attitudes or words that will exasperate your children, that will make them angry. I mean, this could be anything across the board. This could be harsh or domineering speech to them. This could mean belittling your children, humiliating them. This could mean setting up rules and regulations that are impossible to obey and standards that there's no way they can live up to and frustrates them. For most of us, we exasperate our children when we lack consistency in discipline and in instruction. Kind of depends on how we feel at any given moment. One day, they get away with it. The next day, the wrath of dad comes down upon them for the smallest violation, right? But rather than parenting in a way that is frustrating to children and exasperating to them, Paul gives us two positive instructions, verse 4. But bring them up in Two areas, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, before we get to those specifics of discipline and instruction, look at the way he describes parenting. He calls it bringing them up, nurturing them, but nurturing them toward an end point. Right? They're not with us forever. The goal is that you have your children under your roof and you are stewarding them and you were responsible and accountable to God for them for a short time. They're not yours. You're stewarding them and the goal is never to keep your kids. The goal and the, the thing that you and I are working and striving toward And the reason we're expecting obedience of them is that we are going to launch them out into the world. And we are preparing them. We are bringing them up to send them out. That's what we do. They're going to be adults. They need to function as adults. And they need to understand that even as adults, they're accountable to God. So how do we do that? Paul gives us, as parents and specifically as fathers, Two things to do, verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. First, we bring them up in discipline. Now, it's really easy to think of punishment for wrongdoing, and this includes that. There's no doubt about it. When they disobey, there's punishment that comes with that as a way to teach them obedience. But this is more than that. The fundamental idea here is training in right behavior. It's teaching them that there are certain ways to live that are wise and that match God's design and that submit to his word and that are appropriate because of your relationship with the Lord. And so as parents, we structure our house in a way that shows our kids what is right and true and good. Before the Lord. And when they don't conduct themselves appropriately, we correct them through discipline. Now it's very, it's very easy, it's very common, include myself in this, for parents today to sort of shy away from disciplining their kids. To to want to be kind and gracious. And to think that disciplining your kids is not being kind and gracious. It's sort of the opposite of love. Sometimes we just want to be our kids' best friends in the wrong way. And so we think disciplining them will somehow damage that relationship. The Bible paints a very different picture of discipline. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to see... How the author of Hebrews paints this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so he's actually making the case here that if you don't discipline your children, you don't love them. If you don't require obedience of your children, if I don't require obedience, I am acting like I don't love them. And like they aren't actually my children. And if I I don't have enough concern and care to get up off the couch and correct my child and teach them the right way to do it and what God requires of them, then I don't really care for them. And I'm not actually thinking of them as my, my child. Now with that discipline, the training comes the second part of this it pairs with it and we've already sort of hinted at this but the end of verse four we are to bring them up in the discipline and instruction this is teaching this is explanation this is teaching with moral weight behind it so what do we teach our kids what am i responsible to teach my kids well, there's this great passage in the Old Testament that I want to draw your attention to that I think tells us what we are responsible as parents to teach our kids Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 to 25. And I think we need to follow this same pattern of what God tells the Israelites to tell their children, right? What is happening in Deuteronomy? Israel is on the edge of the promised land. They're looking to go in, and God is telling them how they will be faithful to him in the promised land. And a primary vehicle for faithfulness is parental instruction of their kids. What sort of instruction? Deuteronomy 6. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Look where he starts. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. He's describing the redemption of the Lord for his people and his character. Verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So what does he tell them to tell their children? First and foremost, when you're teaching your kids to obey, you teach them about the redemptive work of God. You tell them what he has done for you. Do your kids, do my kids know that God has changed me? Do they know the good news of what the gospel is? Have you told them what God has done for you and how he has rescued you from enslavement to sin? And then the second part of this is, notice how he begins there with redemption, and then he goes to the commandments and he says, these are for our good. Look at this God who loves us and has redeemed us. And of course he's given us these commandments, which are for our benefit and for our good. He gives us these commands because he loves us. And so, of course, we want to obey them. They're not harsh. They're not overbearing. And so we teach our kids about the goodness of God and how obeying God is for our benefit. And it's because he loves us. But we start with the gospel. Now, here's the kicker for us as parents. Sometimes it's easier to sort of farm this instruction out or think we're farming it out to the church. The church is where my kids go to learn the Bible. And that's what we can tend to think. They'll get this in Sunday school and church. Now, they will here. That's our goal. That's what we're striving to do. But that's not the church's primary responsibility. That's your primary responsibility. We come alongside you as a church body and supplement what you are doing. Don't depend on the church to do what God has given you the privilege and the responsibility and the joy to do. I mean, this passage in Deuteronomy of God telling the Jewish parents to instruct their kids is an amazing gift and opportunity that they have with their children. And it's our responsibility as parents, primarily as fathers, because of the way he ends this in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All of this is directed toward the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all under him, and he is the end goal and the end game. And we are accountable to him. He is the focus. He's the goal. We're responsible to him. So ultimately, as parents, we are caring for, teaching, training our children as stewards for a short time, and as stewards who are ultimately accountable to the Lord of glory for these children. So if we teach our kids about hard work and honesty and help them get a good job that pays well and buy their first house, and we never teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemption that we have in him and what he has done for us, then we've failed in the instructions that are given here. All of those are things that are good, and Proverbs would exhort us to instruct in those areas, but all of that comes under the Lord. And it's to him that our instruction and our discipline is ultimately directed. So, how do we walk in wisdom in our home? in this most important of relationships between parents and their children. Children, learn to obey your parents. Parents, faithfully and lovingly model and instruct and train your children in careful discipline and patient instruction. This is not just something that we do because it'll be easier at home and we'll finally win at parenting. This is something we do because this is how we walk in wisdom. This is how we walk worthy of our calling from the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful to be your children. You have saved us you have adopted us into your family. You are patient with us us, and you teach and instruct and you discipline as we need it because you love us. You give us good commands because you are good. And so I pray for the parents in this room that you would motivate them this morning. Help this not to be a crushing weight on us as parents, but help this to be a a privilege and a responsibility and a joy for us to take and to begin in small chunks and small pieces to train and to discipline and to instruct and teach our kids about you so that we can bring them up and send them out as vessels of the gospel to be used for your honor and your glory. And Father, I I also pray for those who don't have kids at home here. I pray that they would help to make this church environment a place where parents can succeed in following these instructions. Where they are an encouragement and a help and a benefit to those parenting children who are still in the home. And that together, as a church body, we can be an environment where disciples are made and specifically the disciples that grow up in our church. Thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for your fatherly love for us. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Mm